This episode of the podcast is brought to you by our new sponsor, Impact Tactical. They're a tactical outfitter for first responders and military. Uh, me, guys, personally, I can vouch for them and their quality service. I've used them for the last uh, 11 years of my career. Be sure to check them out at impacttactical.com. Uh, that's M-P-A-K tactical.com. And uh, be sure to tell them that uh, Two Cops, One Donut sent you. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by HRH Combat Arms. They can turn your vision into reality. They specialize in gunsmithing and ceremony. Coding. Your Cerakote specialist is Air Force veteran and retired police sergeant Paul Ware, a.k.a. the Sarge. He can Cerakote your firearms, auto parts, tools, even your sports equipment. This veteran-owned business is located at 5025 Saunders Suite, 103, Fort Worth, Texas, 76119. You can call them at 682-304-0363, and you can find them online at www.hrhcombatarms.com. That's www.hrhcombatarms.com. Welcome back to Cops One Donut. I am your host, Eric Levine, and I have a special guest with me today, Annette Zapp, a female firefighter. You know, it's kind of like the unicorn of firefighters because you do not see that that often. And I want the female firefighter perspective. I think that's something that any ambitious female out there looking to get in this career field, the best people to hear it from is right from the horse's mouth. And I got Annette, who is supposedly a badass. We'll find out through the show. I was told by Chris, uh, somebody that we had on the show, that she is the one to talk to. So how are you doing, Annette? Well, I'm I'm a little worried because Chris Moore promised you a badass, and yes. you're probably just going to get an ass. So <laughs> let's, we'll see, but let's just think about that. Yeah, he. I, I told him, I was like, he's like, uh, after we got done recording and stuff, I was like, hey, man, you're in the firefighter world. You know, I've got full access to the police world, obviously. I was like, but what I cannot find, I've reached out to several female firefighters on social media, and maybe they think I'm a creeper. I don't know, but I, I, I could understand that. And I'm like, you know, I'm messaging all these female firefighters that are actually following the page and stuff. I'm like, Hey, I'm looking for a female firefighter to interview and I'll either get ghosted completely. They just won't answer. Or, um, they're like, Oh, you know, I appreciate it, but I, I can't, or, um, the department won't let me, which I totally understand that. So I get that part. Well, I think they probably think you're punking them. Two cops, one donut wants to talk to a firefighter. Yeah. Seems like a setup. Yeah, it does. And it's funny because I don't know if you've heard the explanation. When I first made the show name, um, I... I have a, I had a co-host. I mean, he still comes on occasionally. It's just really hard to match up with time and all that. But, um, I, my favorite podcast is called two bears, one cave. And that's Burt Kreischer and Tom Segura. I love their podcast. And I was like, you know what? That's, that's funny. Cause they're two big hairy dudes. Like they, they'll play on themselves. I get it. And so I was like, all right, well, what it would be funny play on words with me. I'm like, I love the Simpsons and stuff like that. I love the Simpsons cops, especially chief Wiggum and whatnot. I was like, well, two cops, you know, I could have a co-host and, uh, one donut was, you know, like just picture some comical thing where we're fighting over the last donut. Um, and I thought that was funny. And then, so I make it and they didn't run it by a whole lot of people. And then uh, when I do make it and I start posting some stuff, I got friends that are like, oh, dude, two cops, one done. That's funny. It's like two girls, one cup. I was like, uh, fuck. No. 
was, up. I was like, that wasn't the intention, but that's funny. And I have a dark sense of humor. So I was like, you know what? I'm not going to even bother to change it. Because if that's the correlation, if that makes people like, well, let me see what this is all about, uh, then, I'll, then I'll get into it. So, but um, yeah, that's just how it turned out. So I get what you're saying. That could turn <laughs> off some females uh, from wanting to join up. But maybe they'll see yours and they'll be like, well, she did it. And she's a badass. So I'm a badass too. I'll join up. Okay. I hope that that is the case. Okay. So basic way I usually guide the shows the first thing i want to get into is i want people to get to know you want them to fall in love with az and uh where did you come from and how did you get on the path to becoming a firefighter oh that is a long long path and i will try to give the cliff notes okay what what it was not i didn't grow up watching fire trucks go screaming down the street and think that's what i want to do when i get big um I bounced around a lot as a child. My parents moved around and where we ended up as a junior in high school, um, we had a volunteer fire department. I don't even think I ever saw the trucks move down the street. So I was largely unaware of this career altogether. And I was on a path to being a law enforcement officer. So I really, really wanted to be an FBI agent. I think I probably watched a few too many episodes of things like Charlie's Angels and Magnum and all of those things growing up. <laughs> yeah. And so I really, really wanted to be a law enforcement officer. And to spare your your listeners all the gory details, I just kept running into barriers, the first of which was a vision barrier, and then uh, the second of which was uh, 9-11. So I had an offer, and then 9-11 happened, and all the offers got rescinded, and then the third time, which was actually as recently as 2007, I had an offer with um, Bureau of uh, Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms, but they wanted me to relocate me to East St. Louis, which at the time wasn't a great, it just wasn't a great move for me where I was in my life. So I was always on that trajectory to being a law enforcement officer, and I took a little side path into the health and wellness space. And I was working full-time in that space, and I started to meet firefighters coming into the gym, and they told me, which typically firefighters do this, they tell you all the great parts about the job. We get to drive cool trucks. We get to make rescues, and there's a lot of time off. We have great insurance, and I thought, this is the job for me. And so I started um, the prerequisites and requirements, got my paramedic license, took all the testing, and then I got hired in 2004, and I've been at the same department ever since. Okay, so you get you get uh, attracted to the job through all the, obviously, the cool parts of it, you know, yeah. and then, then you slowly realize that you're dealing with a lot of uh, medical homeless calls and, <laughs> you know, helping... Uh, fix things, uh, people's vehicles, broke down vehicles and stuff like that, rather than running lights and sirens screaming to a fire. Yeah, because nationwide we go to very few fires anymore. Our, the prim the primor, uh, primary majority of our calls are all, um, like you said, EMS calls, person locked out of their house, cat in a tree, uh, typical emergencies such as that. Right. So in terms of responses, the job didn't quite turn out to be exactly what I thought it would be for sure. Um, how old were you when you got into it? 
I was old, actually. So in Illinois, you have to be 21, but you have to be hired by the time you're 35. And I was 33. Okay. So I was an old, an old rookie. And then uh, we have different tiers of our pension system in Illinois. And so I'm luckily tier one. So I only need to do 20 years and I can collect 50%. But that means I have to work till I'm 53. And it's a really, it's a young person's job for sure. Right. Um, now, uh, I was alluding to it earlier. You do not, you see lots of females in police work. Like that isn't so uncommon anymore. That's that's a accepted practice, you know. Um, but firefighting, uh, just kind of like the military. There are females in the military. I don't want to, but there are certain career fields in the military that you very rarely see a female. And I, I'm like full disclosure. I've never seen or met a female firefighter that I've worked around in person. Um, I know they exist. I know they're there. I like, um, like the city that I'm at, I, I'm pretty sure there are. I, I've heard of it, but I don't know if they still work there. And I definitely don't know how many. I've never seen one. So for you, getting into that world, was that something that you had even considered up until that point? No. And just to reflect for one second on your statement, statistically nationwide, there's only about 4%. So it's not that odd that you haven't run into a lot of them or any of them. And as far as me getting into the job, I tell this story. It's very funny. When I was in college in my first year, I worked at a fast food restaurant, which people now would think, what in the hell were you thinking? That's not you. (laughs) But I worked at a fast food restaurant. And fast forward now 16 years, I got invited back to that town. It was Sioux Falls, South Dakota. I got invited back to that town to give a lecture to their firefighters. And I put the address into my GPS and I drove and I'm driving down the main drag in Sioux Falls and I'm seeing the restaurant that I used to work at in college. And then I'm supposed to turn right. And the firehouse was in the back parking lot of the restaurant. And so I said to my host, wow, when did, when did you build this firehouse? I used to work at this restaurant. And he said, oh, it's been there for a good 20, 30 years. It was there when I was working at the restaurant, but I just never paid attention to it. So in terms of, you know, I never saw female firefighters before I became interested in the career field either. But I think that the reason that I was drawn to it was the challenge of it and what wasn't nobody going to tell me I couldn't do something. So um, it was, it was not a vendetta. That's not the right word. That's absolutely not the right word, but it was a challenge that I was not going to fail. And so it was, it was difficult, but I think it's difficult for everyone, male, female, young, old. I think it's a difficult career for everyone. Now, while you were going through, did you ever get the vibe that because you were a female, that they were letting you slide on things um, that they wouldn't normally let the males slide on? Or were they tougher on you because you were a female and they wanted to make sure you could hang with the males and stuff like that? I'm just trying to, I really want to empower females to go towards a career that, like you said, people generally say, you can't do this. I love, I I like rooting for the underdogs on that stuff. So, (laughs) you know, you got to, obviously we got a winning story here. So I just want to kind of give a real look 
to any female out there listening that's thinking about trying to be a firefighter. Like, this is the real shit to expect. No sugarcoating. In my experience, uh, nothing was made easier. Definitely not easier. And my perception at times was that it was made intentionally harder on me. I don't know if that's reality, but that was my perception. I was lucky enough to get hired in the era when uh, departments in my state were hiring firefighters that didn't already have the firefighter credential. So you could get, you needed to be a medic. They wanted you to have that medic credential. But if you didn't have the firefighter credential, they would send you to uh, an academy, probably very similar to the law enforcement academy. And our particular academy, I can't remember if it was nine weeks or 12 weeks. And it it wasn't a resident academy. We didn't live there. We commuted to the academy every day. Uh, it, It was nearby us. But that was tough. And I went to the academy with, four, I believe four other people that got hired with me at my department. And we really bonded and we really stuck together and we really helped each other out. But that was a tough academy and it was tough for everyone. No one walked away from that saying, whoa, that was so easy. It was tough. Yeah. It's, it's a common practice in the Midwest. Cause I was a cop in Michigan um, for a bit for you to have to put yourself through an academy, like get a certification um, that down south where I'm at Texas, like that, they still have that, they, you know, like the college, um, police academies and stuff like that. But more often than not, these departments are putting you through the academy themselves. They like sponsor you through, uh, the police academy. My department has its own police academy, you know, um, other cities that are around us, these cities that have good money, probably like Chicago PD and stuff like that yeah. have their own police academy where, yes. If you're trying to become a firefighter, like this is something to consider for anybody out there listening uh, or a police officer. There are some places that require you to put yourself through the academy. That sucks. Like when you get sponsored, that's awesome. That That's the best that you can hope for. So if you can get sponsored by somebody like it sounds like you were, you were sponsored by the people that were trying to put you through. Um, that's great because you're getting paid while you're going um, and they pay for all your training and whatnot. You don't got to pay for it yourself. Yeah. And we've actually, um, by we, I don't mean my department specifically. I mean, the state of Illinois has created ourselves a little problem because back when I was trying to get hired, they were getting five and 600 people taking a test. And so they could be really picky with their requirements and they kept making it more and more and more stringent. Now we want you to have this. Now we want you to have that. And within the last two or three testing cycles, all of the departments have started to get fewer and fewer and fewer applicants. And some departments will put out a test and get zero. No, not one single applicant to take their test. And so now we're going back in the other direction. We are um, easing those requirements and making it easier for people to get into the career. Yes, that's that's a double-edged sword, um, both ways that you look at it. Uh, and I, when it comes to police work, this is what, so part of this show, or, or the, actually the main focus of the show is bridging gaps between first responders and the community. Um, firefighters themselves recently have found themselves on the, the bad end of community outlash. It, completely unjustified, in my opinion. Everybody should love firefighters. If you're going to hate on anybody, hate on cops. We're the face of, like, the bad stuff. Um, 
but firefighters and EMS and EMTs and all them guys, leave them alone. Uh, so the double-edged sword is you, you relax the standards, but now you're the quality of recruit or proby or whatever you guys call yourselves when you're trying to get in, um, starts to diminish. You, you're not getting, you know, you want your candidates to be up here as far as how they look on paper, I guess, um, quality wise, but you start relaxing the standards. You start getting maybe lazier people or, you know, people that are always pushing the envelope, um, risk takers, you know, firefight people are like, well, that's what firefighters do. You know, firefighters are calculated risk takers. The, yes. the good ones, <laughs> they don't, they're not running into a burning building just cause the building's on fire. They're doing a 360 assessment. They're checking it out. They're making sure that it's even safe to go into, to try to rescue people. Um, it's a team effort. And when you start to relax standards, this is what I want the community side to understand. This is where the bridge starts coming in through the communication and the education is yes. If you need bodies for firefighting or police work, and the, the 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 reason you're not getting candidates is because your your regs are too stringent. Like you're saying, you're getting zero. That's a that's a significant number. Like that doesn't happen, especially in a time when it seems like unemployment's kind of high. And I'm no uh, what do they call it economic person or whatever. I don't know what the unemployment rate is in the nation. Um, down here in the South, it's actually there's jobs everywhere. But up north, where my family's at in Michigan and stuff, they're not hiring. So if you're getting zero or even close to, if 600 to 800 was your normal numbers and you're not anywhere near that, that's a loud message you need to pay attention to. Well, we did, we shot ourselves in the foot a little bit as well. The Illinois pension system got into trouble, not by the faults of the firefighters. We have always put in the, the amount that we are mandated without fail. But many of the municipalities started, um, I'm not that great on these terms, but sort of underfunding the pension and doing it routinely. And so we got ourselves into a bit of a pension problem, again, by no fault of the firefighters. And so I don't remember when it happened. It was probably close to a decade ago that we created a second tier on the pension system. And so now, rather than having to work a minimum of 20 years and you can uh, retire at 50 with a 50% pension, now you have to work a minimum of 25 years until you're 55 to get 50%. And that doesn't sound like a big difference, but it really is. So now imagine that I had been 33 when I started, but in order to draw 50%, I have to now work until I'm 58 and then couple that with now I had to put myself through an academy on my own. I had to be a medic and the pension system is going to be different for me. It's simply not as attractive as it used to be. Yes. Um, our, our pension itself where I'm at had taken kind of a, a dip. Um, it was your high three. Like um, they based your pension off your, your highest three years and about two years of me being in my department um, they switched it to your high five. So I only qualified under that first two years for the high three, which obviously you're not going to get in your first couple of years. Um, so that really didn't make a difference to me. Um, 
but yeah, we, we've had our own thing. Um, I know Dallas police department got into kind of a, an issue because they had officers, um, they hit the retirement age, um, or requirements and they're staying on in this, uh, what do they call it? Uh, drop program. Uh, yes. And, and like ours was smart about it. Like my department, you have a drop cap. Like you can only do five years in the drop. That's it. So if you decide to stay on an extra five years, that obviously really helps the department out. Um, you get paid your basic wage and then the rest goes to your drop. But they were doing an unlimited drop and you had officers retiring being like millionaires. Like, so obviously you, you can't sustain that type of retirement. Um, I, I feel like the writing would have been on the wall with that. But, yeah, that is a big thing with what we do as first responders is looking into our pensions and things of that nature, especially when you consider retiring at 55. And we're going to get into the fitness and wellness, which is going to be kind of the meat and potatoes, I think, of this. But I want, uh, you know, at 55, cops drop dead. You know, five years after they retire, firefighters drop dead. You know, you, you hear it a lot, you know, after that first year of retirement. Oh, dear Bob, he had an aneurysm, died. Oh, shit, man, what happened? Well, he let us set a, he, he had an active lifestyle and then sat around for a year and it caught up to him real quick. Um, so that goes for anybody, since we're talking about retiring, if you're out there listening and you're close to retirement age, have a plan to do stuff. Stay active when you retire. Don't become a couch potato, please. Um, but, uh, all right. I want to get back. I want to get back to this. You, you go through the Academy. Um, you, it sucks. There's no Academy that I have ever heard of that is awesome, but you get through and, uh, you, you'll finally reach a point in the Academy where you know, you've made it. You're still there. You're still working. You've done your state requirement test and you know, you've made it. What is that feeling like as somebody that was told this ain't for you or anything like that? It was, you know, it was great. We had a that close-knit group of five people. We cheered each other on. We celebrated each other's victories. We helped each other with our shortcomings. We really became tight, the five of us. And so it was really, it was, it was like you said, something to be celebrated to finish. And then just that anticipation of now we get to the good part. Now we get to yeah. go on shift and start doing, you know, all of the, real hero shit that everyone told us about. <laughs> right. Um, were you the only female in your academy? I was not, actually. I believe there was a, at least, nope, there were two other females. So the jurisdiction next to me, which is much bigger than I am, they had a female in that they sent to the academy, and then there was a female from another a part-time department elsewhere. And so they it was interesting. They broke us up into these little groups of four in the academy and you really kind of like the size of a truck company. And so you kind of really functioned with your group of four for the most part. And so I didn't have an awful lot of interaction with the other females cause they were in different uh, groups. Okay. They made it. Did they make it through? They did. Um, Tracy is still a firefighter at that larger jurisdiction near me. And then I think her name was Cindy. She was at a department which is now defunct. I think it was absorbed by another department. So I don't know whatever happened to her. Okay. Well, that's cool. That means you had three females, all three made it. So that's great. Um, so you, you get through and you graduate, you know, all your, your, your crew is like, you guys are celebrating and stuff and you show up day one. Everybody knows that a female's coming 
to the department. They, they already know, I'm assuming, because they hired you. Yeah. They sponsored yeah. you. So yes. you, you show up day one. What was that first year like for you? It was tough uh, in that my department wasn't necessarily set up for females. We had we have five stations, and we had one station in particular that had a female restroom, locker room, you know, dedicated area, but none of the other four stations did. And the one station in particular where I spent my probation was actually under construction. So it wasn't even like there was an extra, like a hall bath or anything like that. So that whole process of knock, knock, can I come in and use the bathroom? Um, it doesn't sound like a big deal, but it, it sort of wears on you after a while and you come back from a fire call when you probably should grab a shower and change clothes and you've got this common bunk area and other people are trying to take a shower and it just it was it was a little bit uncomfortable and and to be honest with you uh, we have made progressions but we still have one of our stations that isn't set up for females and so to me that that's been it's been kind of a challenge and I won't lie about that because, you know, taking a shower and using the bathroom is pretty much basic human dignity issue. And, um, you know, having that challenge through my entire career, it just, it just got a little bit old, but overall, uh, I think that most of the crews, we worked well together. We, uh, we meshed well together. We took a, a team attitude to everything, which is what you have to do in the fire service. And now we actually have uh, a few years after I started, we hired another female and then another one and another one to, and just one this week. So we now actually have five females on our department of 87 sworn personnel. Okay. So that's higher than national average. Nice. So, all right. You're, um, I went, the females that I work with, I have one on my team, actually, I'm in a specialized unit. We go around, um, handling property crimes, burglars, thieves, stuff like that. So we're in undercover cars. We're, you know, we got marked units. We're, we're, we're like you said, we're a, a team. We go around and we, we catch these, these guys. Now, um, working directly with the female, it, you say, you know, it gets, it gets old having to knock and do all that stuff. I can tell you right now, the female that's on my team, she would just be like, get the hell out. I got to go to the bathroom. You know, like that's the type of, we're that tight. We have that type of relationship on our team. It's really cool. Um, what did it get to that point? Are you allowed to say were you guys, you know, just just another one of the one of the guys is a way to say it, uh, or was there like eggshells, like walking on eggshells about certain topics or anything like that? No, I think obviously there's um, it becomes more com comfortable throughout the years. I wasn't the first female. There was uh, there were two actually prior to me, but neither one of them completed their careers. Uh, they both took an early retirement or uh, went into something else. And so it wasn't as if there had never been a female at the station, but I was the first one for a little while. Okay. And, and definitely, you know, I have a, a female friend who is a police officer and she's very much the same way. Like, Hey, jackass. Yeah. 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 Hell out. yeah. I have to go to the bathroom. Yeah. Um, but it, do it becomes a little bit different when you're not just working a shift in terms of, you know, an eight or a 12 or a 10, but you're actually working 24 hours 
it becomes a little bit different because then there's like changing of clothes and taking of showers and things yeah. that just you wouldn't necessarily have to do as law enforcement. Yeah. I so it becomes that, a little bit more complicated. That's a different dynamic. Yeah. I didn't think about that. Um, I just got an alert that it's going to rain. Uh, <laughs> thunderstorms are coming. I hope it doesn't affect the sound. Um, yeah. It's a, that is something to consider and something for any female out there that wants to do the firefighting thing. I didn't even think about that. You do, you guys do, you bunk up, uh, you guys all sleep in the same room. Yes. And no, yes, because, um, the, the, uh, personnel that are the blue shirts, the firefighters and the paramedics all have a common area with little three quarter walls in between, but no doors. Um, the officer of the station does have a separate bunk area. And so I've been an officer since 2014. And so I have had a separate um, sleeping area, which is really nice, not just for the fact that it's separate, but for the fact of, I don't have to listen to anyone else snore Snoring. anymore. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. I'm still in the military, but I definitely remember, you know, going through basic and all that stuff. And you, oh my God, you know, they, they're in good shape, but some people just, they snore, man. And it is hard to sleep through that. Well, fun side fact, I learned this. My friend, Dr. Allison Brigger, is a sleep neuroscientist, and she's also a major in the Army. And she turned me on to this research that there's a statistically a certain number of people in the general population have apnea, but generally those people are 60-year-old males with really fat necks and they're obese. There's a similar number uh, percentage of people in the military that have apnea. But the problem is they're decades younger, they're in better shape, they're thinner. And so it is really interesting. And it's probably due to sleep deprivation, sleep disruption, ah. uh, feeding into that. So that it's interesting. Sense. Yeah, because I, I always uh, associated snoring with just being getting fatter. It's <laughs> a better way to put it. Um, you know, I've seen it in my family. Um, most people. People, I'm 39. Um, most people in my family above me, higher in age, they didn't know what we know and what we grew up with with health, or it wasn't as a focus. Like for me, growing up, fast food was the devil. Like you did not like that was you ate that if you had no other options growing up. So um, I just I've always avoided fast food. I'll eat it as a last last option. You know, if I'm starving. But uh, I've always avoided fast food. But everybody above me, heart issues, uh, sugar issues, all that stuff. And they're like, oh, it's hereditary. I'm like, is it? Is it? Or is it your lifestyle choices that you had and your dad had that that now you're trying to say that it's hereditary? Because I go to the doctor and the doc's like, you're good to go. Genetics loads the gun. Yes. Lifestyle pulls the trigger. Yes, that's what I try to say. <laughs> now I know there's certain things that genetics just you you you're screwed. Like it's just part of the the way it is. But um, I'm not gonna give it any help. Let's put it that way. So you're gonna go down fighting. Yes. Um. All right. Let me. I'm trying to process this. You go through. You're you're dealing with now. You got in when? 2004. And that is crazy to me. 2004, and it's still not set up for females. 2022, it's still not set up for females. It, right, yeah, you still have one station that's not even set up for females. That is insane. That's crazy. Now, I get there's money, there's budget issues, stuff like that, but 
there's certain things like you you gotta you gotta handle <laughs> it's it's like uh during the civil um civil riots and stuff like that uh, civil rights you know it's like saying well we you know we still have a black and a white fountain we couldn't we didn't have the budget yet to make, <laughs> integrate everything it's the same thing right it's the well, same then- damn thing the new wave of the fire service, and we we didn't go this way in our latest remodel that's going right now. So the very last station is getting remodeled. But the wave of the fire service is actually these individual suites. And so regardless of your rank, regardless of whether you're an officer or not, you have this little bedroom suite with an adjoining bathroom, shower, sink. And that's kind of like your area for the day. And so that accounts for male-female. That also accounts for our transgender personnel and respecting them. And unfortunately, we didn't go in that direction. But that's where most firehouses that are remodeling are going. Okay. Yeah, that's uh, my big thing. I just want to sleep by myself. <laughs> that, that would be my biggest concern. I would, I can deal with the bathroom. Shoot, I'll run to the back of the firehouse. I'll run to the back of the department and be outside <laughs> if I have to. Uh, no shame in my game, but <laughs> not as easy for females, uh, especially female cops. They got a lot of stuff to shed just, just to go pee. I feel bad for them. Uh, yes, that's a challenge. I, I, I bet, especially, what do you guys call it, bunker gear? Is that what it's called? Yeah, or, yeah. bunker gear. Well, we don't usually have that on, but... But at a fire, just imagine, oh my goodness, I have to go to the bathroom. Yes. Oh dear. All right. So you get, you get through your first year, um, your crew, everybody treats you cool. You're not the first female to come through, but you are the only female at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and as you're going through your career, um, promotions and all of that. So you said you promoted to officer. Is that a promotion yes. or is that a, just a different designation? Uh, it's a tested and put on a list and promoted in order of vacancy. So, yes. Okay. And in that, did you find any um, PT qualification standards or testing or anything? Um, was it was it geared towards guys? Was it, was it pretty even keel for you? What did you think of that? Are you referring to the promotional process or the hiring process? The promotional process. I, I Like for us, like you in the military, for instance, like your PT, you have to take a PT test. You have to take a, your written test and all that stuff. They all have to match. So I didn't know if in firefighting, if you guys have to do both. At least in our department, and I, I can speak for a lot of departments in the area, once you're hired, there are no ongoing fitness standards, which you go, hmm, that's really strange, but it's very common. And so what we see is that we hire individuals likely in the best shape they're ever going to be in. And then we sleep deprive them for 20 to 30 years. We expose them to a ton of trauma. And then we wonder like, why, why are they 50, 60, 70, 80 pounds overweight? We got to do something. Well, it's difficult to do something when you don't have performance standards. And so it's impossible to institute those as a reaction to people being overweight and obese. And so in my opinion, this is something that we need to start phasing in. And if it needs to be grandfathered and if we need to say, you know, all of the people that are already hired 
um, this doesn't affect you. It should, but this doesn't affect you. And then everyone we hire from this day forward has to pass a yearly fit for duty test. I think that's the way to phase it in. But I think we really do need to phase it in for the protection of the individual and their health and also for the protection of the people they're working with. Because if you are morbidly obese, your chance of going down in a fire, of falling down during an extrication, um, and, and having some sort of an event is much higher. And then if you're morbidly obese, our chances of being able to get you out of that situation without hurting ourselves are declining. And so I really think that this, this is something that the fire service needs to look at, especially since our candidates are coming in less physically fit than they were in the past. And I blame that directly on the fact that school systems no longer have required gym class. And instead of making school lunch, uh, cooking it at the school, now they're using ultra-processed, ultra-palatable food, or worse yet, some campuses even have fast food right on the campus of the, of the high school. And so our people coming in are less fit than ever. And they're in the best shape that they'll likely be during their whole career. Yeah, where I'm at, we've um, it, we we call it the grandfathered process. Basically, all those that are already in, they're not required to do the annual fitness test. However, you get a thousand dollar incentive if you go and you take it and you pass it. So that's how we're getting the old schools to to take the to at least stay fit enough to pass the PT test. Now I will be the first to say the PT test that we do, it it ain't that like you could still be really out of shape and pass it. Um, mm-hmm. And I've seen it. I've seen people that are obese and get through, and then they they're sucking wind in the corner and look like they're about to die or pass out. Uh, but they got a thousand bucks for it. So it, it incentivizes them, at least monetarily, and then uh, maybe it triggers them to get in a little better shape so the next time they do it, they're not killing themselves. Um, and then everybody else has to take it that wasn't grandfathered in. Well, it's really interesting. Um, I ha- My best friend is a police officer. We got hired really close in, um, close to each other, and then we met on a call maybe four months after he got hired, and we've been best friends ever since. And so I'm privy to some of the things that go on in the the local police department, but they attempted to incentivize fitness. And from what I understand, they can earn $300 cash just for completing this really small obstacle course. It's not difficult. It's not timed. You don't have to pass it. You don't fail it. You just have to do it. And they have very low percentage of participation. Yes. Yeah, that that is a thing I I have. There are people that won't even attempt to do it. They don't want the thousand bucks. Um, and I, that's crazy to me. I'm like, screw that. I'm going to get my money. Um, I'm required to do it regardless. But as long as I finish it, I get the incentive as well. So it's nice. I, Me personally, as a, as a cop, um, which firefighters don't have to worry about as much, I would rather my department pay for me to go to a pay for a membership to a grappling school. Yes. Um, like jujitsu is my, if I'm going to pin it on just one thing, it's going to be jujitsu. That's my favorite, but you know, re- catch wrestling, judo, all of those things. Um, it will make you one, it'll make you healthier Two, It will make you a safer officer and it will make you, um, anytime, 
it lessens your use of force on bad guys. So, meaning I can keep the bad guy safe even though I'm physically manipulating him. I can keep him safer and I don't have to go to my gun. I don't have to go to my taser or, or these intermediate to deadly force weapons because I am trained. I am confident in my skill set. I um, a confident officer is a safer officer. Safety for everybody, not just themselves. And they go from thinking with that lizard brain during the fight or flight to thinking with their frontal cor- uh, lobe cortex, frontal cortex lobe, whatever they call that. I'm not a doctor. Prefrontal so. cortex. But yes, that thing. You know, uh, I try to talk like I know what I'm saying. But um, yeah, so uh, the same with uh, with firefighting. If you like, you said if you can start to incentivize it, there's got to be you have to have it and you got to implement it trick is how do we do that? Um, but before we transition into that, um, I want to hit one last thing. Uh, you go through, um, you're an officer now. Um, is there any, are we going to go higher? Are you no, done? no. Um, once, uh, a few years ago, we eliminated the rank of captain. So I am a Lieutenant. Uh, I would have formerly been able to promote to captain and then we have a battalion chief and I, I explained the battalion chief is they are a chief officer, but they are an on duty babysitter. So they work the same shifts that we do. They don't work admin hours of seven to four, seven to five. So I could aspire to promote to battalion chief, but it's outside of the bargaining unit and it just, Um, That job especially has become very, very administrative in nature in the last few years. And so it just, it doesn't appeal to me. And Mm -hmm. I think that there's other people that would be great at it. So I am, I'm going to stay right where I am. Yeah. I mean, if you're happy with what you're doing, there's no need. That's what I try to tell some of the younger officers. I need to, I need to do this, need to do that. So I can get here, get there. I'm like, are you going to enjoy it? If you're not happy in your career, if you love what you're doing now, um, Unless you're looking out for your retirement, because some of the newer officers, like, they have to promote for the retirement to be decent when they get out. So I'm like, you got, you know, a 25, 30-year career here. Um, There's no rush. But if you're looking out for your pension, then, yes, start moving up, get where you got to go. But, okay, so you're going to stay as a lieutenant, and you'll – You'll go from that and your other career, and that's what I want to transition into. So we are talking about fitness, wellness, um, things of that nature in first responders' work. Um, we'll focus on firefighting because that's what your realm is. Um, I've actually had another person on here that focuses on um, fitness for police because we work those weird shifts. Like you said, we don't do the 24-hour thing, but we work the three shifts in a day. You got your morning shift, your evening shift, and then the midnight guys. And the midnight guys really get screwed. They do. Because the midnight guys, the only thing available to eat is 7-Eleven um, or, you know, some gas station food or maybe some of the late night, you know, down here in Whataburger. Oh, you guys got Whataburger now too. I, I believe Illinois bought it. Some, some company in Chicago bought Whataburger, which is a Texas-based company. So, oh wait, is that the Marky Mark? Nope, Mark that's Wahlburgers. Oh, that's the Wahlburgers. So you'll see it; it'll be coming up there. It's called okay. Whataburger. It's this orange and white monstrosity of a building. I'm an In and Out guy. If I'm gonna eat some fast food burger, it's gonna be In and Out. But um, 
Yeah, so with the midnight officers, there's just nothing available. That's why kettlebells are my favorite thing in the world. Because if you're a midnight cop, carry a kettlebell in the car. Secure it. Don't let it roll around because it'll screw your car up. Um, Kettlebells are really good. uh, Makeshift gym that you can do in 10 minutes while you're sitting there and there's no calls. But on the fire side, now we're talking 24 hours, 48 hours. just depends, you know, especially in Illinois if you all get snowed in, which is a, a possibility. Um, fitness becomes true. a big thing and you guys aren't in my personal opinion and what I've seen it's not that you're going it, it's not a casual build up when it comes to f- your heart rate going up you guys like have to run and throw on a ton of gear which weighs how much does bunker gear weigh pounds. what's that 60, 60 pounds 62 pounds with an air pack minus a tool Okay. So you're probably close to 70 pounds if you're carrying a, like a pump can or a, a tool. Right. So we're talking elevated heart rate, and then it comes back down while you're riding. And then, then you hear what the call is. And if it's like a, a big fire, then your heart rate's just going to naturally go up because you're, you're, you're juiced if you're not a seasoned veteran. Uh, so now you just keep your – this heart rate keeps going up and down, up and down. And then once you get on scene, now you got to run around, lift things, move things, break doors down. Uh, that is hectic on the body. And like you said, if you don't have PT requirements and you're not taking care of your physical fitness, this is a danger for first responders. So I want you to give me your perspective. How did you get into this side of the house? I was actually in this side of the house before I even started at the fire department. So in the early 90s, I was teaching group exercise. I was personal training. I was accumulating knowledge on all things health and wellness. And so when I started at the fire service, I kind of let that fitness career go. Uh, I stopped working at the wellness center. I stopped personal training uh, clients there. But I started training them at my house. And so I built a gym and I was training general population. So uh, youth athletes, I was training weight loss. I was training all kinds of different demographics. And one day I sort of woke up. I don't mean I got out of bed and woke up. I mean, I opened my eyes and woke up and I thought, I have a skill set that is somewhat unparalleled because knowing it from both sides, doing the job and the actual credentialing and experience with exercise, I have a skill set that is very helpful. The fire department, the fire service is very big fan, and I think the police uh, side of the house is a fan as well of this sort of train-the-trainer concept, meaning you get a new brand of taser. I'll just try to I'll try to muddle through an example (laughs) you get a new brand of taser you send one person to learn all of the nuances about the taser and then that person comes back and teaches everyone else right we're big fans of that too so we get a new ladder truck we get a new forcible entry prop we uh, send one or two or three people to learn all of the nuances about this and then they come back and teach us and it's a great model It works really well for tasers, ladder trucks, forcible entry props, but they try to do it with human performance too. And there's just too much to it 
to task someone who has a 40-hour training on it to task them with the mental and physical health and wellness of their coworkers. Because let's be honest, it's not knowledge. You don't lack knowledge. I don't lack knowledge. Everyone has knowledge to some extent. What they lack is implementation and a lot of it's the mental component too. So even I, with 30 30 years experience in health and wellness, I sometimes go, man, I don't know enough. I need to learn more. And yet we take these people that have been, you know, trained for 40 hours and expect them to be able to solve the problems of everyone else. And so I identified the need for expertise, someone who has the knowledge from the firefighting perspective and someone who has the actual knowledge from the health and wellness perspective. And I put those together to form my business. And so I have been approached by law enforcement agencies. And for the most part, I usually tell them I'm not the person. I could do it. I could. But I want them to have a really good experience with someone who's an expert with what they're doing as well, instead of someone who thinks, someone who makes up a taser example and thinks they know what they're talking about. And so uh, Fire Rescue Wellness, I formed in 2016, I believe it was. And I now do different types of work with a lot of departments. So I do everything from managing their entire health and wellness program to uh, on-site visit where I visit their facilities their stakeholders. I look at their needs. I do a needs analysis and then I come back with suggestions of where they can begin with implementation to a one-off lecture where I I do a Zoom webinar with the department to a lecture series to um, all kinds of different services. So basically, I solve health, health and wellness problems for fire departments. Very nice. The... Um... The, the trick, uh, or I shouldn't say the trick, the, the thing that I want anybody getting into these career fields, we'll stick with fire especially to understand, is there's, I guess, three or four major components to your health. Your mental health, your physical health, your nutrition. I guess, yeah, so three. Three that I can think of off the top of my head. If one of those is out of whack, it all falls apart. It's like a domino effect is what I see. Um, And typically where we really start to fall apart is our nutrition, I think. What do you see? What do you see with that? I'm going to challenge you. I'm going to add a bucket. I have four buckets. Okay. And my first bucket is sleep. And when you have sleep deprivation or poor quality sleep, it affects everything. It affects your nutrition and metabolism. It affects your mental health, mindfulness, hormones. Yep. Both in short term and long term. There are immediate effects of one night of sleep deprivation. And then there are intermediate. And then there are long term. But anyway, the four buckets, sleep, nutrition, mental health, and then movement. And I'm a strength and conditioning coach, but I actually put the movement Uh, movement bucket as the last priority because in my opinion sleep and nutrition and mental health are more impactful can be more impactful and in fact sleep if you can just sleep better 
everything gets better. Everything gets better. Yes. Um, I have made it, um, and it, it, maybe I just got lucky with some of the education that I've, I've come across um, talking about eight hours, eight hours. Like, you know, I, I, the way I look at it, I'm handling a gun. Every time I'm in a situation, there's a gun brought to the scene, whether it's mine and or the bad guy has his own gun, but I'm bringing a gun to the scene. Uh, and sleep is the simplest way to fix some of the mental acuity issues that you start to have, you know, bad decision making. You know, I, I don't want to have a gun in my hand and be sleep deprived. Um, and I've got full control over that. And I like sleep. You know, I, I like getting good sleep. So my family knows, like, once dad goes to bed, leave him alone. Don't because of that. And I've made it such a priority in this, this household um, because just like you said, sleep is, is it's, it is that I, I agree with you on that. So um, you didn't have to challenge me on the fourth bucket. I'm with you on that. I guess I just kind of considered sleep and uh, physical health the same thing. But uh, I guess that kind of goes into mental as well. So, but Yes, yeah. I'm with it, it you on that. It has a direct impact, and especially, uh, I can't, I have this in a slideshow, and I can't remember for police, so I will just address fire, because I know this for sure. Sleep deprivation is an independent risk factor for the top four things that kill our firefighters. Suicide, cancer, cardiovascular disease, and motor vehicle accidents sleep independently affects all of those things and then going back to your carrying a gun and being sleep deprived i just read a fun study about this uh in police officers you would expect veteran officers to make better quick decisions on shoot no shoot you would expect that but then we see these uh, articles in the newspaper and the you know veteran officer accidentally shoots unarmed teenager or whatever and you think how could a veteran how did how did a veteran make that mistake because the longer they've been on the department the more sleep deprived they've been for a number of years and the more cognitively because there's cognitive decline when you're sleep deprived and so it's it's really sad but when you are a veteran you're not as smart about some things as you were when you were a rookie just because of the sleep deprivation. Yeah. It, it, it um, I didn't know that it accumulates over the long term. I didn't know yeah. that that was a, a thing. So that's, that's interesting. Well, and uh, small tangent, uh, short term effect of one night of sleep deprivation is accumulation of these protein particles in your brain. So they're called uh, tau and beta amyloid particles. And they're supposed to get washed away while you sleep, but if you don't sleep, they accumulate. And so even after just one night of sleep deprivation, they start to accumulate. But those are the hallmarks of cognitive decline and dementia and Alzheimer's. So you can actually increase your risk of cognitive, we'll call it disease processes, by long-term sleep deprivation so it's back to that genetics thing there's a genetic component to those cognitive diseases but there's also this lifestyle component so sleep is very important yeah we one of the things that i learned um from one of my mentors uh he's in my department buck wheeler um he really harps on um 
when you're working those midnight shifts, um, obviously your nutrition like can start to dip if you start. I packed lunch most of the time. I was trying to eat clean uh, as best I could. But your hormones, your cortisol levels, just from not seeing the sun, just from not seeing the sun, like your cortisol levels will start to dip. Um, not to mention you start to get sleep deprived, the less sleep. All of these things really affect your hormone levels. Your testosterone will dip, your cortisol levels go up. And what happens with an officer anyways, you, you get moody. <laughs> and moody officers get into more shit because their mouth got them into a situation that wouldn't have normally had happened if they were you know, working in a, the daytime and, and taking care of all of these pillars that we're talking about as far as fitness, uh, nutrition, and mental health stuff, um, sleep. And that's what I want all these new guys, new girls trying to get into these career fields to start consider. If you start thinking about this stuff right from the get-go, you're so far ahead of where I was when I came in because I didn't learn about this shit till I was, I'd been doing it probably 10 years. And, you know, between the military and police life, I didn't know any of this stuff. So here I am coming down to Texas and going through an academy, and here's this instructor getting up there, and it's one of the first classes we take in our academy is health and wellness. Yes. Yeah. That's so good. Yeah. So that's one of the first classes we had, and from that day on, my nerdy side, I was like, oh. You just told me all the science behind this stuff. And we're, you know, talking just about the same words that you, the towel and the stuff. I remember that in the class now that you bring it up, him mentioning that stuff. And that, the light bulbs start going off. And it really made my career that much better. And my, at least at the academy that I went to here, the, the rookies have, um, they get that base knowledge right from the get-go. But... Not everybody does. I mean, you and I are talking about it. You have to, through your fire rescue wellness, um, your website, by the way, I got down here, firerescuewellness.org. So if anybody's interested in seeing uh, Annette's stuff, uh, she's got a badass website. I checked it out. She's like right on the front. She's like, what up? Um, <laughs> well, you know, I, I love that you, I think it was you, but maybe it was me. We called these buckets people when I talk to them about, about sleep because I've been doing a lecture series on sleep at a department that's local to me and I have one of my last slides is um, do the best with what you can and when you know better do better and my conversation around that slide is I get it I get you're going through a divorce your mom has cancer your child is whatever I get it sleep yeah. is tough I get it but if you can fill up those other three buckets while you're while you're not able to sleep if you can consciously make better nutrition decisions and side note make those on autopilot because you packing your lunch is huge if you don't pack your lunch in advance you're going to eat what's available when you're hungry so put those things on autopilot your nutrition and then your mindfulness or seeing a counselor and then your movement, just going for a walk or something like that. Fill those buckets up as much as you can and that helps soften the impact of that sleep deprivation. But if you are emptying all of those buckets at the same time, you're going to feel miserable and it's going to have an impact on both your physical and mental health. Yeah, in the, in the, 
the encouraging thing I like to tell um, people that have been in the in the that shitty lifestyle for so long, all their buckets are empty, like they're not doing any of them. You get to a level where that feels normal. You don't feel crappy anymore, yes. like because crappy is normal for you. And then when you start to try to fill those buckets up, it's tough, and you're like fuck this, this ain't like, I feel way better when I'm not doing all this crap. Um, you have to, you have to give it time. Let it, it's not, it's a marathon. It ain't a sprint. So in my experience, anyway, give that time until you're, you'll feel it. It's weird. You, you're actually changing chemical reactions in your body. And you, when you finally hit those good chemical reactions, you're going to feel it. You're like, Oh my God, I feel amazing. I'm not hurting anymore. I sleep way better. Um, you know, I feel better when I eat clean food. That's the big one. Like for me, if I, like my wife got Chick-fil-A the other day. She's like, hey, we, we don't have any food in the fridge. You know, I'm going to stop by Chick-fil-A. You want it? I'm like, yeah, I'll do Chick-fil-A. I, I eat it. I meet 10 minutes later. I'm running to the bathroom to take crap. Uh, and <laughs> I feel crappy. Uh, that's just that's how it is. That's my body's reaction when I eat bad food. Um, opposed to had I just got, you know, I love sourdough bread. So it's good gut health reaction for anybody that's like, well, sourdough, that's old school. It's, it's good. It's, it, just don't eat it all the time. Um, but I'll eat a sandwich. Sandwiches are clean. You're eating meat. You're eating, you know, a piece of cheese. I love cheese. So it's way better than eating a Chick-fil-A sandwich. And I feel good when I eat. If I go for a run, like I like to run. If I go for a run after eating that sandwich, I use that food as, as fuel rather than thinking of it as eating clean. I look at it as fuel for my body. So um, I'll eat that sandwich from Chick-fil-A and go run, and I'll feel it in the run. <laughs> so I try to, well, I try to f tell people, if you're living that crappy lifestyle all the time, you have a hurdle to climb. Once you get over that hurdle, everything opens up. Um, and then when you do eat a bad meal, or you, you know, you let one of these slip, you are much more attuned to your body than you were when you felt crappy all the time. Well, my, my girl, um, Maureen Stockline, who is actually a badass female firefighter, she's soon to be retiring. And uh, she was the former dietitian for the Mets. And now she is the dietitian for the New York, uh, I'm sorry, the Detroit Tigers. <gasps> Maureen always says, yeah, she's, she's people. badass. That's somewhere I'm from. Oh, wrong way. Michigan. Yeah. So um, <laughs> Maureen says, give it two weeks. You have no idea how good you can really feel. And then, so she's very middle of the road with her nutrition stuff, you know, making things a little bit better instead of a little bit worse, you know, drinking adequate water, not, not, nothing crazy. But if you just give it two weeks, you will be astounded at how good you can feel. Yes. I, um, anybody out there is like, Oh, I can't drink water. I'm a, I like carbonated stuff. Like I'm not a pop drinker. Um, soda, Texas guys. Sorry. You say pop up there, right? Uh, oh. I use both. I use oh, both. See there. See, I can hear your accent. Both. Oh. <laughs> yeah. That's a, it's a Midwest thing. Um, I like carbonation stuff, but I like water. It's not a problem for me. I'm not, not addicted to drinking soda or anything like that, but that is a common problem for first responders. They get hooked on cokes and um, not cocaine, coke, the pop. 
<laughs> Sprites, whatever, uh, Pepsis. Uh, I have discovered, because I like carbonation, at Walmart, this thing called Clear American. Zero calories, nice. zero sugar, zero everything. It's just nice. a flavored water with, with bubbles. And uh, if that that's an easy transition for you guys. If you are hooked on pop and you can't get off of that, uh, look for these things, man. There, there are some – there's one by Michael Buble called – Bubbly, I guess it's called. Like he advertised it. It tastes horrible. <laughs> it <didn't laughs> like it. It's so bad. Um, there, I think Clear American is copying the drink that I used to drink all the time when I was a kid called Clearly Canadian. Do you remember that? Yes, but it was so sickeningly sweet. It yes. was. It was artificial sweetener, I think. Yes. But yeah, the cherry, whatever cherry, Black I did cherry, like that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was a good one. So I remember drinking those as a kid. So the, for me, like I said, this is a good transition, um, especially if you're starting to work out because there's 150 grams of potassium in these as well. So I like having potassium because I get Can cramps. we talk about energy drinks, though? Oh, yeah. I mean, I got one of those right here, too. So it's not open. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So let's get on energy drinks. Full disclosure, I have been addicted to energy drinks more than one time in my life. So I understand, I get it, but really important to know, I think at least if you're going to be addicted to heroin, you should have your eyes wide open. Like, what does that mean? How does that work? So same thing with energy drinks. I'm not, I'm not comparing them. I'm not saying they're as addictive as heroin. Don't get me wrong, but I think you should have your eyes wide open. Now, the maximum dosage of caffeine at one given time is 200 milligrams that's the maximum you should take and then I believe it's the U.S. RDA recommends no more than 400 milligrams in one day so they're saying 200 milligrams every four to six hours should be your maximum and then 400 in a day and that's if you're a fast metabolizer of caffeine most people don't know if they're fast metabolizer or slow metabolizer so 400 milligrams maximum. So a monster is 160. That's below that threshold. Um, I don't know what the Mountain Dew energy drink thing is, but bang energy is 300, 300, milligrams, baby. 300 <laughs> milligrams of caffeine. So now you have that all at once, which is kind of bad. I call it AFib in a can. It's kind of bad. <laughs> That's your but, <laughs> but here's the other thing we need to remember about all energy drinks. So this is Monster, Bang, um, Celsius, all of them. When you look at the label, a lot of times they have proprietary blends. So we don't know what that is exactly. But what we do know about these energy drinks is that in addition to this mega dose of caffeine, they're neurotoxic to the brain. So we're already in this career where we're sleep depriving our brain and causing ourselves issues there. We're traumatizing our brain. And now we are feeding it neurotoxic agents. And so, again, I think every adult human should do whatever the hell makes them happy. And if drinking three bangs a day makes them happy, I'm not going to lecture. But you just need to know. Eyes wide open. Hell of a lot of caffeine and neurotoxic. Yes. Drop the mic. I So I'm... I already know 300 milligrams is a shit ton of caffeine. So when I do drink them, 
I don't drink them daily. I'm not one of those guys. I know a lot of cops that, you know, oh, I got to get two bangs just to, to get through shift. I'm like, Jesus, dude. Um, if I open one of those at 8 a.m., I'm not done till noon. Like that can will last me that long. I just sip it um, just like I would coffee. Uh, but in Texas, it's when it gets hot, I don't want coffee anymore. And it's already starting to kind of get hot. Um, so I'm, I switch over to, to bang occasionally, not daily. But yes, I know you're right. I need to, <laughs> I need to get off of them completely. Um, but every once in a while, you know, hey. I, and, and truly, if it is every once in a while, who cares? Yeah. I mean, if you go on a drinking bender every once in a while, who care? And you don't drive and you don't hurt anybody. <laughs> right. Yeah. You, yeah. Any you Uber. Yeah. Right. Who cares? And if you eat a whole entire pepperoni pizza and a side order of cheese sticks by yourself once in a while, who cares? Yeah. And but we, it's this typical behavior that we're doing all the time that becomes a problem. Yes. And with our career fields and these first responders, I think. One of the ways we combat this in the future, and for our communities out there, this is what I want our communities to start pushing towards your academies. Like, you want changes. You want, you know, you got these ideas, defund, or um, they need this training, they need that training. One of the primary things I think you want, because you want longevity out of your investment, and that's what your first responders are. They're an investment. Um, you have to do an extensive background check for your firefighters, for your cops, just to get them through the door. So invest into that long term. Keep them out in the field as long as you can. You don't want, you know, your 10-year firefighter getting injured on the job from this buildup and lack of education and health and wellness. And then he's on a, a medical retirement that you all got to pay out anyway. And now you're not getting the benefits of him. Departments often ask me how how can we afford this? How can we afford health and wellness services? And my answer is you can't afford not to have them. Your return on investment from just one back injury, from just one shoulder injury, from one person going out on cardiovascular disease 10 years prior to retirement is huge. And so, you know, it's upstream. You're never going to be able to say, point your finger and say, we prevented eight cardiovascular diseases and four back injuries. But the, the, the proof is in the pudding. The yeah. research is out there. Health and wellness is a good investment. Yep. When you've got a, a 12 to 17 year veteran that's still out in the field and is, hasn't, hasn't taken any sort of medical leave other than normal sicknesses and stuff like that, that that's when you start to notice. You're like, man, I, our, our staffing is still high despite the – you know, the, the, the older veterans being out there and not being off on some sort of uh, comp time or not comp time. What is it called? Um, what is mm -hmm. that when you're light duty? Oh, light duty. Yeah. 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 So you're out on light duty and stuff like that. Uh, it, it, it pays for itself. Just like you said, it, it's a it's an investment into the future. And I think between health and well, health and wellness needs to be one of those top priorities. Yes, you want them trained in like for cops, verbal judo, de-escalation. That's good stuff. But there's other things that you you need to put in front of that priority. Um what's the other big one um for firefighters uh 
the when you guys go around checking for nuclear radiation and stuff like that. Oh, hazmat. Hazmat stuff. Like, yeah, that's good training to have. But I still think health and wellness should be in front of hazmat. Because how often are you dealing with a hazmat situation versus health and wellness is every day. Every day. Well, this is a great analogy. We spend sometimes a million and a half or more dollars on a vehicle. And then we spend the money on a warranty and we spend the money on the mechanic. We have in-house mechanics at our department who take care of our vehicles. Why? Because we want them to last and we want them to not break down. So why then, if our employees are our biggest cost to the department and our biggest investment, why do we not have people taking care of them? So they don't break down. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you can't argue with that logic, but they will. Yeah. Well, and the thing that we do is we say, listen, sucker, you raised your right hand and you said, I swear to uphold and protect and all of those things. And once you did that, you lost your right to be out of shape and to be broken, which in some respects, yes. But also, we don't hire, an NFL team does not recruit a quarterback and then just say, good luck, fucker. Yeah, yeah. I hope you don't get killed on the field. They put, they invest in them, coaches and nutrition and strength and conditioning and mental health and, 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 and those people are not playing a game of life and death. They are literally playing a game. Yeah. And we're not making that same investment into our first responders. Right. And like, I want to preach on this is that he, the return, the return you get when you invest it pays for itself. I mean, it and, does. and it's not just, yes, I, I think we should really be looking out for our first responders, but at the same time, you try to make choices what's best for the community. That's best for the community. That is what is good for the people you are trying to serve in the first place. And we do have to take ownership. I do not take the ownership away from that firefighter that raised their hand. They are responsible. They do need to invest in their own health and wellness and not take it for granted but they are not health and wellness experts just like a quarterback is not a human performance expert. And so they need resources. Yeah. They need, they need help. They need help. Mm-hmm. Like yeah, it's it, no different than signing up to be a cop. I, I, I wasn't a firearm. I'm still not a firearms expert, but um, I didn't know how to shoot point and point and click. Like that's, <laughs> that's how I would have thought of it getting into police work. Like you just name it. No, there's a lot to it. There's a lot more to just shooting a gun than what you would think. Um, They need to show you that stuff. They can't just expect to give you the gun and then you go out there and know how to use it. So you have to walk just just like everything else. You have to walk us through and, and give us the best fighting chance we got once we are cut loose, once we get out there um, and continue that. It can't just be everything's a perishable skill. And further... We are not disposable 
you know, we are to some extent, if I go off the job tomorrow, they're just going to put someone else in my position and it's going to march on. Right. But do we really want to be treating our first responders as disposable? I don't think so. No. And then nobody's going to sign. Like I said, and this goes back to the quality of recruitment. If you start treating us that have been doing the job that way, especially the ones that have been doing it as long as we have, if you get rid of that, what do you, what message are you sending to the newer generation that was even just thinking about doing this stuff? They ain't going to sign up to, why would you sign up for that? Go get an office job where, you know, you can get off work uh, at a decent time and, and go to a cool gym and do whatever, whatever you want to do. But yeah, not go out and risk your life. And then they're just going to toss you to the side. Like that's a bad message to send. It is a bad message. And for a while we were doing a good job. Um, I think for the last three years I was invited to come and talk to our new recruits on the first day. So they, they would do their paperwork for insurance and they would check the mark or whatever. And then I would sit with them for an hour and I would talk to them. I would talk to them about health and wellness and uh, suicide prevention and all of these things. And we were doing that so consistently and then we hired a group last fall and there wasn't room on the schedule. And then we hired this group just this last Thursday and there wasn't room on the schedule. So it, it has become less of a priority. And I think that that's something that shouldn't, all of those things are important. Every single one of those things are important. Pension, health insurance, retirement, union stuff, they're all important. But all encompassing health and wellness message, also very important. Yeah, and you you're not going to get to your pension if you didn't take care of your health and wellness. So again, it goes to, like that should be the first thing that you're seeing in an academy, whether it's firefighting or police work. Um, and it it also is the block training mentality too that I hate. Um, at where I'm at, that health and wellness stuff it doesn't end in the classroom that first you know, week or two, however long that class is. Um, we continue the message while you're out on the CT deck, while you're out doing control tactics, while you're out doing PT. Um, mm -hmm. Not only do we teach you, you know, how to eat and, and what you should eat and what to focus on and stuff like that. We teach you proper form. We teach you how to lift. We teach you, we baby step you through every process. So when you do, this over the course of eight months, it wasn't just in that first block and then go. It's you are learning. It's in this, this, um, I don't know the word for it, but accumulative. It's accumulative mm -hmm. learning throughout the academy. So it sticks with you longer and, and, and hopefully anchors itself into your brain and you build the habits over a long time versus, all right, first month is uh, all your PT stuff. Second month, we're going to have you doing your action stuff. Third month, we're going to have you, um, put all that together and for a test and then you're done. You ain't going to remember shit from that first month. I think I love that accumulating theory too, because uh, almost on a weekly basis, someone reaches out to me from a department somewhere and says, we still have this mentality of toughening people up and like sorting out the trash and all of this stuff. And so we have this approach during our Academy of just killing them in PT. And then those that make it are like, woo, those are the winners. But the problem that they're having is that they're creating a distaste 
and disdain for physical fitness training, not a love for it. Because even someone who loves it, me, was a little put off by the um, physical training in the academy that kill you method. And so we have to be careful. We need to, like you said, make it accumulate, make Mm -hmm. it building blocks, create that love and relationship with physical training rather than create that disdain for it to be careful. Yes. I, I, so there's going to be people, people that are, are going to want to bite your head off and I'm going to, I'm going to rescue that real quick because when we do that, it's not so necessary. I think in firefighting as it is in police work, um, it's that boot camp style, uh, you know, basic training. Um, it's a stress inoculation. Now, the argument that I have is like, listen, it doesn't have to be physical fitness that we kill them on. It just has to be stress inoculation. It's giving them tasks that, one, they can't do alone. It's going to involve teamwork. That's kind of one of the things we want to see if you're thinking through. And um, two, it's it's multiple decision makings. We're stressing you out. I want to stress you out. I don't need to stress you out physically and kill you to get the reaction I'm looking for and to get the brain to slow down and start thinking through things because that's really what I want to do. And it, typically in an academy, it's only the first hour that they're there anyway because after that first hour now you got to go shower up and then you go into the classroom. So I challenge anybody out there that is an instructor, like step back for a second. It's not basic training. Um, the whole point, you got to look at the what your point is. You're not just trying to be a dick. You're not trying to burn them into the ground physically. That's not the point. The point is stress inoculation. So stress them out in different ways, but you can you can throw in PT, push-ups, sit-ups, all that stuff. I, I try to tell them don't have them lift anything at the beginning because you got to build them up anyway. Um, you, you know, calisthenics is about as much. You should, body weight is all you should be doing at the beginning. I have, I have um, a perfect guest for you to talk on this, but I have to press pause for one second because I think my battery is dying. So hold, please. I'll be back. Okay, no worries. I'll keep chatting while you go. Um, this will be a good time to plug Annette's stuff. Um, you can go to her website, firerescuewellness.org. Um, I have got the website pop- popped up right here. It's all spelled out. Um, and then you can find her on Instagram at firerescuewellness, all one word on Instagram. Um, I got that on the screen right now if you're a person that likes to watch. Uh, and then Twitter, you can find her at firerescuewell. Um for whatever reason, Twitter would not let her name it wellness. So it's fire rescue. Well, and that is her stuff there. Be sure to visit our page at two cops, one donut.com. That's all spelled out. If you accidentally get on there and you type in the number two, uh, cops and the number one donut, um, you'll still find me, uh, donut. We do not spell it the old school way. It's spelled D O N U T. Uh, if you're just listening, Please, 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 please help me justify videoing all these podcasts. Go to the YouTube and subscribe at Two Cops, One Donut. Um, And then shout out to my sponsors. I don't usually do this middle, but Impact Tactical. That's impacttactical.com. And my gun company, not my gun company, my buddy's gun company, Sergeant Paul Ware, hrhcombatarms.com. But uh, Annette is back. She is plugged in. She's got her battery gun. (laughs) It happens. I thought, you know, I think it might be time to get a new computer because I, it was like 
92%. I'm like, ah, it'll be good enough. And then I saw it go. Uh-oh. What, uh, Uh-oh. what computer are you using? Uh, it is a um, HP, I don't, I don't know. It's okay. like three years old. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's ancient in computer t- times. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So stress inoculation. Yes. Which, yes, I understand that. We need that. But but PTing someone to death is not the way. And my friend, man, COVID sucked, but I made good new friends that I probably never would have met otherwise. And I met Troy Torrance and Troy is the, I don't know what his exact title is, but he's a strength and conditioning specialist just like me, but he's a civilian that has worked with Indiana state police for, I think 20 years now. And Troy has the most amazing cognitive drills and stress inoculation stuff. So, for example, yeah, he'll maybe have them do 10 box jumps or something like that. And then you'll see them over at a table trying to thread nuts onto little bolts, like really fine motor skills. And then also picking out number cards and putting them in order, um, responding to visual acuity tests. He's amazing. You should have a conversation with Troy for sure. That would be awesome. Yeah. I like that stuff. That's, um, one of the things for use of force that we train, um, our recruits in is we basically, we do a simulated fight is the best way I can explain it. One is on the ground and the other would be on their feet like boxing. Um, but before we do that, we make them go through Metcons and Mm. it physically exhausts them and we try to show them like you're already stressed out because you know you're about to get in a fight now i've physically stressed you out now go through and think while you're being picked apart by an instructor basically um controlled it's a safe environment but uh for them that, that fight or flight mode can kick in and then it we show them, and then we do something similar towards the end of the academy where they're physically fit. The, the, the PT, again, didn't even wear them out, and then they go against each other, and they realize that they can sit back and think through and not use all that energy that they normally would use. So the, the fine motor skills, we try to show them, like, look, here at the beginning, you couldn't even – you couldn't even remove somebody's hand from your face. You, you, you couldn't think through that. Because what we'll do is we'll get them on the ground and then we'll just smother their face. Aww. Just do that. And all they have to do is move the hand and we'll, we'll stop. And they can't even think that far ahead. They just start tapping out and they're struggling, just moving their head back and forth because they're physically exhausted. And once, once you start getting physically exhausted, it, Fine motor skills, all the, the thinking, all that stuff starts going out the window. But yeah, I, I like I like that type of stuff. So if you guys are into that, that'd be very cool. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know if I'll get a lot of shit from other cops for having a stadium on here, but um, he's a civilian. He's oh, he's a civilian. okay. Yeah. He's a civilian guy. All Works right. for the Indiana State Police, uh, so I don't know. Does that okay. count? Eh, as a yeah, that'd be good. That'd be good. Yeah, that'd be fun. But, I can hook you up. Troy's awesome. Sweet. He's just. He's amazing practitioner that's what's cool about doing the podcast too i constantly keep getting networked into cooler and cooler people like it you know chris obviously had his and then he hooked me up with you and did you guys work together did you meet through how did you guys meet we actually met a couple years ago at the illinois firefighter peer support symposium Uh, i was speaking 
that year. And then uh, his wife, Lori, she wrote an outstanding blog for my website, which actually hasn't been ported over to the new website yet, but it was so good. She wrote about her experience with his uh, post-traumatic stress injury and um, growth. So it was really cool. And then we just stay connected through social media and texting and all that good stuff. He is such a cool dude. Yeah. Yeah. It's cool to get a veteran, you know, like he's been doing it almost 30 years. So getting, getting him on there and then talking about, um, he's the one that converted me to calling it PTS, not PTSD. So Mm -hmm. I'm trying to, to curb my vernacular on that. But, um, yeah, this, this stuff that we're talking about is another way to help, deal with the accumulative um, trauma that we see just in the job. Absolutely. If we revisit your, your analogy or your story about the, the recruits that just have to move the hand off the mouth, we take our nervous systems offline by fear and poor breathing mechanics and all of that stuff. And so if we if they don't learn anything else from this whole podcast, I tell everyone take a breath. Tactical breathing. So we take an it. inhale, yep. take an exhale, and that brings you back online. And no, you don't you probably don't have time to sit there and take five deep cleansing breaths in a circular motion. <laughs> take one. Yeah. One breath. Yeah. One breath. Yep. It lowers your breath, blood pressure. I mean everything. It's crazy what just taking a good breath will do for you. Yes, just breathe. Yep. Your nervous system will thank you. Yep. So in all your years of doing this with the wellness and the firefighting, you got to have some good stories, some some good feel-good stories or maybe some bad stories to learn from. Any any big things come to mind about this stuff? Unfortunately, the way the human brain works, you always remember the bad stuff much more clearly than the good stuff. But what I what I would tell and what I do tell people who want to get into the career is that um, I start with the bad stuff. I say, I'm going to tell you everything you want to know about this career, but I'm going to tell you the challenging bad things first. And so I tell them, you know, the the simple things you're going to miss meals with your family. You're going to miss holidays. And then I tell them you're going to see things that, your brain isn't designed to see. I, in fact, learned this from Chris. He's the one that told me that the average adult sees between one and five traumas with the most people seeing two to three in their entire lifetime. We could see two to three traumas in the course of a couple of hours during our career. And so I, I just make sure that people understand that there are bad parts and there are shortcomings and not to make it negative, but to make sure that they have the most positive experience possible. And then I just, I love to see as far as positive things go, I just love to see people who come up to me a year later, five years later and say, you know, you made a difference and you taught me about sleep or you taught me about whatever you made a difference. And that to me is, that's a huge win. That is, that's awesome. Yeah. It's, um, and I'd, I, I, I take the Joe Rogan approach on this stuff for people like you totally recommend you do your own podcast, um, and, yeah. and get messages out like that. But, uh, that's been one of the rewarding things with doing this is getting to meet people like you, but, the 
having peers reach out to me and say, man, like that was a good episode, dude. Like I, I learned a lot from that, you know, keep doing what you're doing. Um, I had an episode with an officer that was dealing with PTSD stuff, um, uh, taking medications for a shooting that he was involved in years and years prior. Um, I've had people reach out from the state of Washington all the way to Washington, D.C. So we're talking all the way across the map um, saying, you know, hey, I I saw that episode. Um, I was contemplating whether or not I should go on medications. I thought it was kind of like made me look like a pussy, you know, that stuff like that. And uh, I listened to that episode and I'm finally getting on it. So I appreciate you putting that out there or him coming on and talking. And then the one um, in D.C. was like, yeah, I showed it to I showed some clips to my guys in roll call. Like, little things like that, like, that feeds the fuel for me to keep doing this. So I imagine teaching the health and wellness. Um, when you get recruits or people that you caught earlier in their careers coming to you years later and saying, like, you know, I really appreciate it. I've been doing this, been doing that, and your career is probably flourishing, you know. <laughs> I never hear anybody say, man, I listen to all that stuff about health and wellness and it ain't doing shit for me. I never heard that. Well, unless they're listening but not applying, which is generally right. this is our problem in our society. We we know, but we don't do. Yes, I and I try to get people on. They're like, "Well, you always look like you're fit." I'm like, "Trust me, looking fit and being fit are two different things." Because when COVID hit me, um, I was six months, maybe seven, out of the gym, not doing oh, anything. Wow. It messed with my brain chemistry, everything. Like I was, I had like a brain fog. Um, I just could not get myself to do anything. It was almost like a borderline depression. Uh, it really messed me up. Um, and it, it took me took me three, four months just to realize what was going on. And then, mm -hmm. you know, another few months of talking to some people and being like, you know, maybe I, maybe I just need to force myself to go and start creating these chemical changes in my brain and, hormonal changes and stuff. And that's really what it was. I had to go to the gym every day for about two weeks before my brain finally was like, ah, this is what we were looking for. Um, wow. Yeah. Cause I was, that was, I probably, it's funny. If you watch my first couple episodes um, of this podcast, the video part, I was like fit, like, like these sleeves on this this shirt would not be loose i was like pretty big for me i was only 190 pounds i'm 190 pounds now so there's a huge difference in my body compared to a year ago and that was because yeah. of covid covid just threw me apart so you can be skinny fat i try to tell people that you can be skinny fat it happens I had a buddy i worked with had a heart attack he'd been in the career field 20 years um had a heart attack right behind us in the cubicle behind us. I heard him fall out. Luckily, we had one of those AEDs there. Um, brought him back, but he found out that he was clogged up. And um, what I what I tell people, I like that skinny fat. Like he looks like he's fit because he's slender. I was like, right. that stuff adds up. And he, the the message that I send is, I for my entire career and for my entire almost my whole life. I've been that fitness person. And so I've eaten in a way that supports health. I've trained my body in a way that supports health. I've slept in a way that supports health. And even so, 
every year when I go to my physical now, my cholesterol is awesome. My triglycerides, awesome. All of my levels are unbelievable, except my fasting blood glucose. It always runs 100, 101, 103, 98, which is pre-diabetic. I do not eat in a way that would support diabetes in my body. I do have family history, but not close family history of type 2 diabetes. And so I attribute that to the sleep deprivation okay. and the hormonal disruption. Yeah. And so even someone who dedicates their life to being healthy and well, the curve will get you. So you got to fight hard. Yes. Yeah, I agree. Um, well, Missy, I think this has been a great little conversation. Do you have anything that you'd like to add? Yes. If okay. anyone is watching the video, welcome to my closet. <laughs> if not, I'm in a professional sound studio. That's why it sounds so good. I know. I, yeah. It, it, closets are perfect. <laughs> they, the, the sound quality in them was amazing. I need to get sound dampening stuff in my own room here. Just, you sound good, though. Yeah, it's because I got the mic so damn close to it. This is the benefits of having an external mic um, with the sound mixer next to you. So uh, it really works out. Okay, so final thoughts. Um, within this career, it you you will come to a time where you will not be okay. And it's okay to not be okay. But it is not okay to stay there. So you need to reach out your hand for help and support and there will be a hand there to support you you just have to ask and just maximize your chances for a long and healthy career by sleeping well eating well moving your body and then for god's sakes find yourself a therapist someone to talk to that would be my final thoughts Nice. Well, I appreciate you doing this show. You've, I, I definitely think that you will have inspired some uh, future female firefighters. I hope my kiddos, I got two daughters, a 12 year old and a 10 year old. So um, All right. I try not to, uh, they've got no limits. They can do whatever the hell they want. Uh, dad's got their back. So um, hearing stories like yours gives me hope for my kids to, to go out and achieve things that they're told they can't necessarily do. So Absolutely. And then also just let them know that if they get there and they don't love it, that's okay too. Find something else to do. Yeah. Plenty of time. Plenty of time. My wife just started doing nursing at 30. She was 36 when she started. I mean, school, obviously. And she graduates this December. She's 38, going to be 39. Good for her. That's amazing. Yeah, Give her so my congrats. I will. Well, ma'am, I will end this. And I appreciate you being out here. Thank you. Have a wonderful day.